Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and an early happy Thanksgiving to all. We certainly have so much to be grateful for, and we hope you have a wonderful weekend. For many of you, it's already underway today, but we're here working. Casey McAllister, when the boss is here, Trace Fowler, you better show up to go to work. (laughs) And then the Dunce has made an appearance today. Brandon Seho, hard at work over there. Gentlemen, good morning. Early happy Thanksgiving. Good morning, Tom. Morning, Tom. Well, I mean, that, 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 you know, that was lame. Good morning, Tom. Well, you said good morning. Come on. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, oh, Tom. Now we're talking. We got Let's everybody go. dialed in here on YouTube. <laughs> by the way, um, as you know, we come your way off the bench presented by United Dairy Farmers, Monday through Friday, 10 to noon Eastern. And you can find us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. Now, the boss man, Trace Fowler, has informed me just moments ago. We always ask that you please subscribe. And our analytics are back. What's more important than analytics in this world? The world revolves around analytics. Sports, life, whatever. But a not-so-fun fact we've come to learn. 76% of our live viewers, and that's by the hundreds if not thousands daily, are not subscribed. So please hit the subscribe button. Turn the notification switch on. If you prefer to join us in podcast form, we are there. Wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. All right, well, here we go. Since tomorrow is Thanksgiving, this is going to be like a Friday for us here on Off the Bench. So we will walk through the weekend schedule of college and pro games, and we have our picks coming up shortly. So you want to stay tuned for that. And especially considering that Trace Fowler is sitting in for Paul Trichner today. And you're the one making the picks today, correct? Yeah, a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure yeah, because you're in first place. That's right. We're the leader in the clubhouse. That's right. Bengals and Titans clash Sunday in Nashville. Of course, a rematch of the playoff game last year when the Bengals rolled in there, intercepted Ryan Tannehill three times. Won the game, even though Joe Burrow was sacked, what, nine times in that game? And they still won the game. Cincinnati in second place in the AFC North at 6-4. and four. Tennessee, the division leaders of the AFC South at 7-3. and three. I don't know if you're surprised. Trace, you're, you're a gambling kind of a guy. Are you surprised the Bengals in Tennessee are a one-and-a-half point favorite in that game? Slightly. I slightly am. Although, we'll get to this later. I, for some reason, Vegas is not big fans of, uh, of Tennessee, and I'm not sure why. We'll talk uh, about that later. It's probably because uh, Ryan Tannehill's a fraud, but <laughs> we got to get this guy some help. Here we go again. Here we go again. All right, elsewhere uh, inside the division, the leaders, Baltimore, a four-point favorite in Jacksonville. The Brownies are home and a three-point underdog to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Steelers will play Monday night in Indianapolis, and they're a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day and night, triple header comes your way. Buffalo played in Detroit last week, and Buffalo plays in Detroit this week. They had to move their game last week, of course, against Cleveland because of all the snow in western New York. Believe it or not, now, it's not a surprise to Casey and, and, and Trace because apparently 
Um, they must have told somebody that they were on the Lions bandwagon uh, very early in the year. They, somewhere, they told somebody. I don't know if it's your fiance, Casey, Trace. I don't know if it's your kids. But somebody must have heard that. Just have to listen, Tom. Yeah, you just got to listen to us early on. Uh, we, we had to hide in the weeds for a while. But now we're back in, in full force. Hey, you know, don't look now. The Lions, baby. Well, I mean, believe it or not, the Lions, who now that we call them the, the fighting Chris Spielmans, they've won three in a row, and they are right on the cusp. I mean, right there of contending for a playoff spot. They're two games back right now. If they can find a way to shock Buffalo and keep playing well, who knows? This game has a lot of intrigue. Buffalo is a 10-point favorite at Ford Field. In the NFC East tomorrow, inside that division, you have the Cowboys and the Giants. Cowboys coming off an unbelievable performance in Minnesota last week, and the Giants were awful last week, getting bludgeoned by the fighting Chris Spielmans. They meet in Big D tomorrow. Two teams, both 7-3, and three, two games behind the division-leading Philadelphia Eagles. Dallas, at last check, a 9.5-point favorite. The nightcap tomorrow features New England at Minnesota. Both teams clearly very much in a playoff hunt. Patriots at 6-4. and four. If you're a Bengals fan, and many of you are, you better be rooting for Minnesota. Because right now, tie breaks. And I know we got seven games left in the season. But New England right now holds a lot of tie breaks ahead of the Bengals should they tie for a final playoff spot. A lot of football to go, though. Minnesota, a three-point favorite at home. College football. I mean, when those college football playoff rankings came out last night, was I the only one expecting Ohio University to be on there? Am I the only one? How are they not on there? It's a shame. I mean, their losses are against teams like Penn State, Iowa State. I mean, they've ripped off seven wins in a row. The best player in the Mid-American Conference here, quarterback, Curtis Rourke, was injured last week. And come to find out, they announced before the game yesterday that his season is over. Ugh. Torn up knee. So what happens? They run out C.J. Harris as a starting quarterback. With the Mac East title on the line at Peden Stadium in Athens last night, Mr. Harris runs for three touchdowns. He throws for another in a 38-14 win. It's off to the MAC championship game next week for the Ohio University Bobcats. Did I take my sweatshirt home? Where is that thing? It's right here. It's over there. I was going to wear it today, but we have guests today. I have a question. Is Aurora a senior? He is a junior. So he'll come back next he'll year. He'll come back next year. The Lord will it. But it's a serious knee injury. But he will win the MAC player of the year. There's no doubt about it. Miami. Beat Ball State last night, 18-17. to 17. That means the Red Hawks are 6-6, six and six, and that means they're bowl eligible. Congratulations to the Miami Red Hawks. And that's hard to say, coming from a Bobcat. All right, now, the big leaguers, right? Everything gets rolling this weekend. UC plays at Tulane. That game is Friday night. A win means a trip to the American title game against UCF, a team that hammered UC early in the year. But because UCF lost last weekend to Navy, if UC beats Tulane, 
they would host at Nippert Stadium UCF for the championship game. Still with a shot at a New Year's Six Bowl. The top four teams in the college football playoff rankings remain unchanged. No surprise there. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. The big shocker, however, was LSU, Trace Fowler. I mean, all you do is badmouth LSU. All you do is badmouth them. USC is sixth. Brandon Seho, all he does is rip Brian Kelly up one side and down the other. They play Texas A&M this week. And then it's off to you-know-where. Championship game against the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, they're right there. There's never been a two-loss team. Never. Since a college football playoff started in 2014 that made the Final Four. Throw the whole list out. Why? LSU's bad. How bad? Much the Did you say bad? You heard me. How much so, are the dogs going to beat them by? Probably 24 points. So, will you be wildly upset if this is a close game? Even if Georgia yeah. wins? Yes, yeah. I will. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm actually uh, – we'll get into this later. I, 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 this really bothers me. I, and genuinely, it bothers me. Okay, we're going to get into this short. We've got plenty of time to talk about I've this. I've defended the SEC bias for years. And this is the first year where I feel like it's really, really reared its ugly head. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, when you're including – and the committee came out last night, and, and uh, Boo Corrigan, who is the head of the college football playoff committee – it's a two-year, I think, rotating thing. He's the athletic director at NC State. His father, legendary Gene Corrigan um, in the ACC and Notre Dame. And, uh, but anyway, um, he was asked on the show last night, if you didn't see it, why is LSU ahead of USC? USC has lost one game. Um, their only loss was uh, on a failed or on a successful two-point conversion by Utah on the road at Utah. Uh, and he made the comment that the committee went back and forth, a lot of time spent on this deal, and felt like LSU's wins over Alabama, and this is where he lost me, and Ole Miss were better wins than USC and their wins have been against two. Did they, they, they didn't play Oregon this season, so they beat, um, UCLA, they beat UCLA and Oregon State. Now, that will change or will be interesting to see. And we're going to ask Urban Meyer about this a little bit later on today. That, you know, we saw it back with TCU years ago when Ohio State leapfrogged them, even though TCU was undefeated in the final ranking. Would USC leapfrog... LSU, well, LSU by beating Notre be. Dame and then beating either Oregon or Washington in the Pac-12 title game next week. We'll talk about this at length in a, in a minute, but LSU, LSU has to beat Georgia to get in, obviously. So if they were to beat Georgia, the committee's already set up. Yep. They've already set it up. They've already made it to where LSU is going to get in if they beat Georgia, which is an absolute – it's atrocious. It's a disgusting act. USC has one <laughs> Yeah, I was I was just about to say that uh, USC just has one ranked win all season long, um, and they lost to Utah, forty three to forty two. And we already discussed that two point conversion nonsense, whatever. 
LSU um, leapfrogging USC, I do feel like is kind of atrocious. Uh, it's I don't think it's as nearly as egregious as he's making it out to be, but I mean, it should be USC first and in, in line to make it into the top four, if you ask me. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Anonymous, who's with us every single day, says, I don't see what the big deal is. All USC has to do is beat Notre Dame, and they will leapfrog LSU and the loser of Ohio State-Michigan. But he's wrong in the sense that they've already set the precedent that if LSU were to beat Georgia, they automatically are in. If they don't lose this week. It's, it's, it's a great point. It's, I tell you what. And they uh, also set the, they've also set, the, the wall. they set the precedent too. If we want to get into this into the weeds on this, it really is irritating because Alabama is ahead of Clemson. In what world do they deserve to be ahead of Clemson? Dude, Clemson's not very good. I don't. It's not a. It's, it's, they it, are not very good. But, I mean, but they've won all their games. They've they've lost to Notre Dame, who's obviously seems like a reputable team to lose to, right? Yeah, but they've they got have, they so have a quarterback much flux. situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, what makes us think that Alabama's good? They, they, they almost lost to Texas A&M they on did. a two-point conversion. But they also are a couple of plays away from being undefeated. Well, they lost a shootout what, what about, in Tennessee. What about Texas? Are we going to forget about that? No, they Texas. I mean, give me a break. Texas. I'm saying what about Oh, the you're long- saying that opening game. Yeah, Quinn Ewers yeah, gets I mean, hurt in the first they, quarter. They yeah, were, I hear were, what you're saying. I, and I think Texas would have won that game. And they got a lot of breaks in that game, too, if we yes, want to be did. honest. I yes, mean, the guy, got, the guy got sacked in the end zone, and somehow, miraculously, he got the ball off without his button hitting in the end zone. And, and, you know, like Alabama always does, they seem to find a way to get the call when they need it the best. So I, I just think that it's completely biased of the SEC in this, in this year. The SEC non-conference outside of Georgia have done what? Have done what? When have they proven their dominance this year? LSU went on the road, or they played. They played Florida State at the beginning of the year. Florida State beat them, but now the ACC is terrible. It's a legitimate point. I mean, it, 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 they they literally have not beaten anyone out of conference. They've not beaten anyone out of conference. Can't argue with that. So if you want to sit here and act like everyone's good in the SEC and they all beat up on each other, you know, that's great. Wait well, Georgia to... did destroy. You're saying besides Georgia. Besides Georgia, yeah. which Georgia has beaten the hell out of everyone in the SEC. Yeah. So. Maybe Georgia's just the one outlier. And, and, and I would argue for years and years and years, Alabama has been that. Of course. So the league's been propped up by two programs for a long time. And Alabama and Georgia. And, and LSU before, had a and, nice run there. And LSU had their one run with Joe Burrow. Right, right. So I have a problem with LSU being that high ranked. Losing, losing by 30 points to a Tennessee team who's trash. And they lost to Florida State. And they're probably going to lose this week to Texas A&M, if we're being honest. They're not going to lose. Mm-hmm. All right. They're not going to lose. We'll get to our picks shortly, though. The game, and it is the game, is in Columbus, Ohio on Saturday. The Mighty Buckeyes clash with T-T-U-N. That's what Urban will call them here shortly. Both teams are undefeated. The winner advances to the Big Ten Championship game Next weekend, the Buckeyes are a seven and a half point favorite. Many questions, especially at the running back position for both teams. Clearly a major strength for both teams, but the star running backs for both teams are hurt. Who will play? Who won't? We're going to find out Saturday in Columbus. Urban Meyer joins the program as our big interview coming up in a little less than 30 minutes from now at 1045. 
He'll be covering the game for Fox, and we'll get his thoughts. Georgia takes on Georgia Tech. TCU undefeated. Host Iowa State Saturday. That's a 4 o'clock game. Talked about LSU at Texas A&M. And then USC Notre Dame in the Coliseum from Los Angeles Saturday night on ABC. The Trojans a five-and-a-half point favorite. College basketball last night in Maui. Ooh. College. Ooh, boy. Ooh. That was terrible. UC, I mean, they just get run over by Ohio State, 81-53. to The Bearcats are trying to at least get one win before they have to wash all the sand off their toes and come back to the heartland. They will play Louisville, who stinks, at 7.30. The Buckeyes play at 2.30 against number 21, Texas Tech. Xavier, tomorrow, out west, 5.30 against Florida. And so, a lot going on in college basketball, college football, the NFL, Thanksgiving, the whole nine yards. You boys want to uh, discuss anything before we get to picks? Anything on your mind, like World Cup or anything like that? Well, uh, we actually just had another major upset. Uh, Japan beat Germany in the World no Cup. No kidding. So that's another big, big deal. That um, is a big deal. Crazy World Cup stuff happening right now. Um, it's a shame that we're not more into soccer. That's for sure. <laughs> we? Is that a French word for yes or what is that? Uh, we? All of us together here in this room collectively. I'll Look, we have nothing guy. against soccer. We have said that before. We have nothing against it. Nothing. And that is a huge upset. Second big one in as many days, right? Saudi Arabia beats Argentina. Yep. And now Germany, which, uh, you know, forever in a day, I know enough about soccer to know uh, that they, they've been a powerhouse, maybe not as much lately, right? Right. Um, when does the United States play again? Friday. Against England? Yes. Now... Do they take the top two teams of every group? Is that how it works? You have four teams in a group. So in the United States group, you have England, the United States, uh, Wales, and Iran. Correct? Right. Right. England's already beaten Iran. U.S. and Wales play to a tie. Right? Yeah. And then the top two teams qualify then for the next round. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a knockout round after that? Knockout stage is what they call it. I feel like if you're a soccer guy, you got to know this stuff, Casey. Yeah, I mean, I knock. It's 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 a knockout stage after yeah. this. The only reason I know that is I I still get the old school Sports Illustrated, and they had a World Cup edition, and I was bored. Well, not bored, but I had some time to kill, and I flipped through it and was reading a little bit and learned a few things, and still wasn't all that interested, to be fair. But okay, but yeah, top two get out, and I guess it goes by goal differential or like margin of victory right yep. so there's a good chance that uh, the u.s just need to keep this game close against england if we tie and we win i think that's a big big win for the united states no, there's yeah. no doubt about it but more importantly we've got to keep it close and then we've got to try to beat the brakes off of uh iran, iran. well england killed them i think the final score was six to two right? that's going to come right. down to us in wales though that's the thing they would have to play again no 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 they would play again i'm saying like that's that's more than likely, Wales and the United States are going to be fighting for that second spot gotcha. to get in. I got you. It comes down to can we, who keeps the game closer between England and who can blow out Iran. If I got will. you. I got you. So you play every team one time in your group. Yep. And then whoever has the most points, you get so many points for a win. I think it's three for a win, right? And one for a tie. Right. And whoever has the most points 
See, Casey, I'm, I'm a little bit dialed in on this stuff. Yeah, there you go. You're, you're right. right there. I'm right, right there. there. I'm right there. What else would you expect from off the bench? Uh, okay, anything else on your mind before we get to picks? Uh, again, Urban Meyer, kind enough to join us here today. Uh, look, I gave you a heads up on the deal yesterday. We are not getting into any of his tenure, very short tenure, as a one-year uh, NFL coach today. We're not doing it. We're talking college football, uh, about his career as a coach, three national championships, all the stops along the way. And then we're going to talk to him about this whole college football playoff ranking thing. Um, he came out uh, quite strongly uh, two days ago. It was all over the news yesterday where he thinks that both teams in the Big Ten that are playing in Columbus on Saturday should be in the college football playoff, both Ohio State and Michigan. We'll ask him about that. We'll ask him about uh, the college football committee, his thoughts. He's not, I don't think he votes on that thing. I'm pretty sure he doesn't as a member of the media. Um, inside that committee about LSU, which we've discussed a little bit, being ahead of SC. Uh, and we'll talk to him about expansion uh, of the college football playoff. It's really interesting if you go to um, The Athletic, and I talk about that site all the time because if you're a sports fan, a couple bucks a month, I think it is, it's, it's unbelievable the amount of content uh, that there is there and so many great writers and so forth. Um, but every week after the rankings come out, they put out what a 12-team college football playoff would look like. And in their opinion, you know, you, you, you've got the top four there, um, and then they each would have a bye, and then, you know, they would play the winner of this and this, the winner of that and that, blah, blah, blah. And it's really interesting. I mean, some of the games that you would have, you would have Alabama and Tennessee playing one another, and the winner plays Ohio State. That's fun. That's fun stuff. And you'd have Michigan and somebody obviously really good. Michigan, LSU, I think it was. And the winner of that game would play TCU and, and so on and so right. forth. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, our picks for college and the National Football League. Stay with us. All right, we're back uh, off the bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We thank so many of you that are dialed in and uh, coming up here shortly. Um, Urban Meyer. Everything that's college football. All right, gentlemen, here we go. Trace is sitting in for the duo of Brandon and Paul. And uh, right now, that duo and now trio is the leader in the clubhouse. Do we need to update the, the picks graphic to put Paul, Trace, oh, and Brandon? I don't think so, no. The boss says no, it's no. He says <laughs> yes, know. you put him up there and bounce the other two If clowns. anything, End maybe like this, call up the second seed or something. I mean, there's no need to put three people's names A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure <laughs> on Trace. There's some pressure, but I like A pressure. A lot of pressure. You want to see the, the, the records so far? Let's see him. Let's see him. Go ahead. Look at that. 21 games over 500. Wow. Not to be more. And Casey, 17 over. Impressive. But I'm slowly closing that gap. Come a long way to get back in it. All right, so here we go. And, and I want to remind you, by the way, you, you may have noticed, um, right here, Pawnee Water. It's an all-new premium alkaline water that's out right now. And i got to tell you, it, it is fantastic. Their offices are right across the street. Really good guys right here in Hamilton. Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is the best tasting water in the world. 
Visit their website at Pani. It's spelled P-A-H-H-N-I. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. And see where you can buy this great tasting water. Glad to have them as, as part of the program and here on Chatterbox Sports. There's how you spell it right there. Good stuff. Really good stuff. They dropped off a case here the other day and and uh, say ho, much like a case of beer gets dropped in front of them and, and all of a sudden the case is here no more. <laughs> <laughs> There's some truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. A lot. All right, here we go, man. You ready? We're ready. Let's do it. We start with the Bearcats playing on Friday night. Um, Is this game at home? I thought it was on the road. It's at home. It's at home. home. Okay. At noon noon on Friday. Wow, thank you. Okay. You see at home. Oh, you got to take the Bearcats here. Although (laughs) Tulane, man. I mean, they, they must be pretty good. I haven't watched them, but they put up 59 on... SMU, SMU may, may may not be great, but UC didn't put 59 on SMU. That was a pretty tight game. Yeah, and I'm going to take the Bearcats. I'm going to ride with them. Luke Fickle, leader of men. I mean, with, with all the the unknown about Evan Prater starting and uh, the ah, injury, yes, I'm taking Tulane. Uh, they well, wow. you have beaten down the Bearcats every single week. I'm pretty. Pretty positive last week was the first time they covered in like seven weeks. You might be right. So they're due. So they're they're due to lose another one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going so you're saying they're going to lose the game? Pretty much is what he said. Yeah, I think they're going to lose the game. Okay. Trace? Unfortunately. All right, here's the thing. If you thought that I'm going to sit up here and for the last five, six weeks talk about how Prater needs to at least get some reps to see what we got going into the next year, going into the big, mighty Big 12. And I'm going to pick the green wave over top of when I've been champion to start Evan Prater. I don't know how Evan Prater's going to do, but at least we get to find out. At least we know. I would hate to start, no offense to Ben Bryant, but I'd hate to start a fifth-year senior all year long, go into the Big 12 and still have no clue what we're going to get out of Prater. So, blessing of disguise for Bearcats, in my opinion. I'm going to take the Bearcats. Okay. All right, next up. We have the big one. Oh, boy. I reached into my wallet, and believe me, there were a lot of cobwebs that came out. A lot. Reached into that wallet to buy tickets for this one. Can't miss it, though. Can't miss it. Be right there at the shoe. Bucks are favored by seven and a half. And the mighty Buckeyes advance to the Big Ten title game. Hammering. (laughs) Was there any doubt? (laughs) T-T-U-N. Wow. Yeah, shocker. I'm really surprised. Right here. Right here. Oh, yeah. All right, go ahead. <laughs> what do you got, Casey? I, I, got, I got Ohio State. Um, I'm just following our system here at Chatterbox here. <laughs> He's a believer, man. I, I'm believing in the system. Uh, Trace has got a better explanation of it, but the, the spread is shows that they really like OSU over Michigan here. So. And I don't know if one running back really makes a difference for Michigan on this one. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Michigan has got a great offensive line, better than the offensive line that just plowed through the Bucs last year, although the Buckeyes bring in Jim Knowles as defensive coordinator. They're a top-10 defense. So that's the story of the game. I mean, that's the story of the game. What happens on the line of scrimmage, both sides? You can say that about a lot of games. And there are a lot of great stars and skill guys. But this game is going to be won and lost between the tackles, both sides of the ball. Trace? 
Yeah, I, I, to Casey's point, make it relatively quick. For whatever reason, I thought that, you know, in my mind, that if the line would have come out at about four points or so, then I thought that would have been maybe kind of fair. I feel like most people are going to see this line and think they're getting a touchdown with Michigan and the, the square out there is going to be like, oh, man, you got to take the points. I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's just revenge and also the fact that, uh, I don't know, maybe the Blake Corum kid's not going to play. And maybe maybe there's some inside info on that, and they know that. So they, they're, they're hedging their bet on that. I'm going to go with Ohio State first. Okay. Okay, I know that hurt you to take Ohio State, but that's yeah. okay. It, it hurt us both. It does. <laughs> Let's be real. It does. That's all right. And you know, he even wore blue, like you told him not to. I did. You see that? Ryan Day. This is black. Ryan Day. Yeah, well, we'll see, guys. Leader of men. <laughs> all right, who's next up? We got TCU. Sonny Dykes. Uh, there's another Sonny leader Dykes. of men. Sonny Dykes coaching him up. Coaching him up. I was with a few buddies last night, and they're like, man, that was unbelievable. You practice it, you rarely ever have to do it. Offense goes off, field goal unit races on, tick, 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 40 yards, bang, they win, and they're going to roll over Iowa State. They will cover that 10. Yeah, punch in their ticket for the college playoffs. Well, they got to right win here. next week in the, in the Big 12 title game. They do. That's they got to right. go on the feet. I think they will. That's and I'm telling you what, man, Kansas State is good. Really, They so. are good. I'm taking TCU as well. All right, straight across the board. The yep. Horn Frogs. We're rooting for them. Or many of us are. Uh, LSU, 9-2. and two. Been a bad year for Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. That is a 10-point spread. I'm taking the Aggies to cover this one. I think Ooh. LSU wins, but I'm taking Texas A&M to cover. I get to fighting Brian Kelly's. <laughs> I will too. Um I think they'll cover. I don't know if they'll win. I'm not that confident in, in this pick. Um, how do you feel, Trace? How do you feel about this game? I love this pick. I <laughs> love this pick. This might be my favorite pick of the weekend. I, I am not a believer in LSU. I've told you guys last week that Tennessee was frauds. I'm telling you right now, LSU is right in that same boat paddling along with Tennessee. They are the biggest frauds going right now. And it's not their fault that, that the country is putting them at five, okay? It's not their fault. If they were down at 10, I wouldn't be talking like this. But they put them at five. And just like Tennessee, when they got put at five, they got boat raced the next week. I don't know what Jimbo's cooking down there, but he's cooking up a win. I don't know by how much, but only one matters. So they might blow them out just like South Carolina blow out Tennessee, but don't be surprised when the A&M fight Nags. All right, then I'm Take changing my pick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, baby. I'm changing my pick. I've got to find Tigers, a way. Tiger, this guy's the biggest front runner on the planet. Um, I'm changing my pick to LSU. I've got to find places to, to make lost. up some ground here. You just lost I might ground, have lost. Tom. I might have lost, but I, I flipped mine to LSU. Man. I'm taking the fight in Brian what Kelly. Shame. I don't walk around badmouthing Brian Kelly like everybody else around here. What? All right, <laughs> USC at home, five and a half points. Favored over Notre Dame, I'm taking Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish or the Fighting Leprechauns. The Casey Fighting Cole. Leprechauns and... Of course, I'm taking my fighting leprechauns. Let's go. You have I'll to. Make it, I'll make it quick. I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take USC. Oh, I don't. I don't blame you for that. I really don't. Take USC. USC. Uh, you know, they, they, their offense is really good. Their defense is. is I mean, they're all. You can talk about LSU all you want. I mean, USC's defense is just. And and mm -hmm. Boo Corrigan talked about that yesterday on the uh, college football playoff rankings. You know, their, their defense is just brutal. Um, okay, is that it in the college game? 
That's it. All right, now we go to the pros. We start with the Bengalis. Surprisingly, a point and a half favor to Tennessee. I'm going to ride the Joe Burrow train. I don't blame you. I wouldn't Bengalis. blame you either. I mean, this, I mean, I'm not surprised that it's not more, honestly. I think Bengals should be uh, at least like a seven-point favorite in this one because Ryan Tannehill <laughs> is terrible. He stinks. They're going to show it why he stinks this week. Unbelievable. I'm not going to go to the limb and say Ryan Tannehill is terrible. I think he's serviceable. I would say Ryan Tannehill can win a Super Bowl with the right group around him. But for whatever reason, I like I like uh, the Bengals to bounce back here and, and and win a football game. And what my point was about the Titans earlier, you know, Vegas has been wrong with the Titans multiple yes, weeks in a row. Have. They had them covered like seven 14, or eight weeks in a row. They had them 14-point underdogs out there in Arrowhead Stadium, and that was a tight, tight yes, game. Yes, it was. So think about that. And with then, a backup quarterback. Well, that was probably part of that whole 14 points, I would say. But then, but then they just made them three-point underdogs against the lowly Packers, who are terrible. Now, I know Packers beat the, the Cowboys the week before, but this league's kind of like that. So yeah, having said that, they made, them, they made them underdogs again this week. So that's, there's a little hesitancy there, but I'm going to take the Bengals. Off the beaten path for a second. Don reminds us it is $2 beer night tonight for the Cyclones. Oh, yeah. Brandon Seho <laughs> will be in line at noon. All right. <laughs> Next up, we have the Ravens at the Jaguars. Baltimore, a four-point road favorite. I'm taking Baltimore. Oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, Tom. Tom all right, come on, boys. We got Urban coming up shortly. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Jaguars all the way for me. Why isn't this spread more? It's because Vegas doesn't like the Ravens against this matchup here. The Jaguars are going to probably win this game, honestly. I, I, I can smell wow. a win. Trace? Yeah, this is another game. Casey heard me talking yesterday about the Jags. I'm, 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 a, big, I'm a big Jags fan this well, I'm weekend. I'm making up big ground this week. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what do we got? We got the uh, Thanksgiving Day games, right? Or are we getting to we, the Cleveland we got, first? We got, Brownies, we Cleveland. I, I said I wouldn't do it. I did it, and now I'm saying it and, and never will again. Tom Brady and the Bucks favored by three and a half. I'm taking Tom Brady and the Bucks in Cleveland. Yep, and I'm also taking the Bucks. Uh, they're five and five, not seven and three. That's my mistake. But uh, I'm not betting against Tom Brady. The Browns stink. What more do I need to say? Okay. Yeah. If Tampa had the same schedule as the Browns, they'd have a worse record than the Browns. So I'm taking the Browns. There's that. Wow. Okay, now we get to That's the right. Thanksgiving Day feast. Triple header. In Detroit, Buffalo, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I changed on this one. I wanted to go with the, with the fighting Chris Fielmans, uh, but I changed because I got to find a way to make up some ground. What? I'm ta I, I You're going to you. change live it. on no, the program? I'm going with the Bills. Going with the Bills. Although I think Detroit is going to win the game, but I'm just picking Buffalo because I got to make up some ground. Well, Tom, I'm sorry that – we have to do this to you, but yeah, this is the, the Lions. This is the Lions. Here. We'll keep it moving really quickly, but this is the Lions. What do they call themselves? The Fighting Chris Fieldmans. No, what do they really call themselves? <laughs> What's their? We don't even know what their fandom is. We'll find that out for next week. We'll put ourselves in there. Okay. Isn't it some Lion Pride or yeah, Go Pride like, or something? We're, yeah, we're part of the Pride. pride. I've Lion heard that pride. tired act. <laughs> I mean, come on. Lions Den, right? Come the on. Lions Den. Lions Den, so. yeah. Sure. Den of Thieves. All right. <laughs> 
Giants v. Cowboys, Dallas at nine. The Cowboys looked great last week. I'm not saying they're going to look great every week, but I just don't think the Giants are very good. Uh, I've never been a believer in Daniel Jones, so I'm taking Dallas big. Yeah, and I am also taking Dallas. Um, Giants stink. What more needs to be said? Yeah, I think the Lions exposed uh, the Giants last week, and that being said, I'm going to take the, uh, the Jerry Joneses as well. Okay. The fighting Jerry Joneses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Motor right. City Kitty, Kitties. Motor City Kitties. Says, I'm not so. saying that. That's one of one of our uh, one of our chat members. All right, Patriots six and four v Minnesota. Uh, this is Kirk Cousins again out of that one o'clock window that everybody made a big deal about. He got sacked seven times by the Cowboys last week. He had no chance. But they're going to beat New England and cover two and a half. Vikes. Skull. Yeah, uh, I I think the Vikings are frauds, but I think the Patriots are worse. So it, it's a it's a tough one for me to choose, but I got to go with the Vikings. Okay. Spread's not big enough for me. Trace, I am going to take. I don't know what the time is on this game. I know what our chat's going to be the, talking about right game. now. It's the night game on. No Thursday. Lee Erickson today. The chat's going to be talking is. about that 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins, and that's not going to help him this week. Oh yeah, that's right. Oof. So I'm going to take Bill Belichick because he is—he is a prime time machine. He is a prime time kind of guy. Hmm. We're all wondering where is Leaf? Leaf Erickson. Sure, he'll be back at some he, point. He's a regular member of the uh, chat, and he's not here. Maybe he's already uh, up in Minnesota. Could be. Yep. He might be up there with real men out there in the outdoors. No internet. None of that stinking kind of thing up there for real men doing a little ice fishing. <laughs> Tom, Has there I... ever been ice fishing? No, I have not. Nope. I did some digging, though, on, on the SEC and their big-time wins out of conference. And? You ready for them? Before we get to break, go ahead. Outside of, outside of the, the, the lowly – well, I don't want to call them lowly. That's disrespectful. But outside of the – Power five, inside the Power five, Tennessee. I don't know if you remember, but they went on the road and played that tough Pittsburgh team, playing out of that league that we all make fun of. Barely won. <laughs> overtime. Yep. Well, yeah, overtime. Yeah, overtime. And let's not forget LSU. They did lose to Florida State, but we got to give them credit because they bounced back and they beat Southern. So Dude, everybody has those patsies on their skin. I mean, everybody does. Come on. Have you seen Michigan's? Oh, yeah. Well, they, they, my bad. They, they beat, they beat, they beat, they beat New Mexico and UAB as well out of conference. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Urban Meyer will join the program to talk about all this going on and his storied career. Um, I can't remember what the, the, the number of games is, but the highest winning percentage of any coach in the history of college football went 83-9 and nine in seven years at Ohio State. Has won three national championships, but now he's just like the rest of us schleps, member of the media. <laughs> All right, we're back in a minute. Urban Frank Meyer III was born in Toledo, Ohio in July of 1964. He grew up in Ashtabula, Ohio, and in 1982 was a 13th-round draft pick to play baseball as a shortstop by the Atlanta Braves. He did that in the minor leagues for a couple of years. He came to the University of Cincinnati to play football, and it's where he would start his coaching career, believe it or not, at St. Xavier High School. 
After earning his master's degree at Ohio State, coaching there as a grad assistant under Earl Bruce, it was off to Illinois State, Colorado State, then to Notre Dame as an assistant under Lou Holtz. Four years later, he became a head coach for the first time at Bowling Green, then went on to Utah where they ripped off 22 out of 24, including an undefeated 2004 season. In 06, the Florida Gators, where he won a national championship his second year beating Ohio State. Two years later with Tim Tebow, they won it all again, killing Oklahoma in the title game. And then, of course, after a couple of years out, Ohio State came a-calling. He won seven Big Ten championships in seven years, won a national championship, and never lost to, as they say, that team up north. Not one time did he lose. He'll be in Columbus for the game on Saturday as part of the Fox pregame show. He and his wife, Shelly, proud parents of three kids. He's even a grandfather now. Irvin Meyer, welcome to Off the Bench. How are you, young man? I'm doing good, Tom. Great to see you. Nice seeing you, too. Um, you know, I, where to begin? Uh, you, you know, you grew up an Ohio guy, uh, but as I mentioned a little while ago, you're a baseball player. Was baseball your first love more so than football? No, uh, football has always been my first love. I was a little better at baseball. You know, I uh, had some football scholarships, and then uh, and Cincinnati was the highest level that I was offered. And then uh, Ohio or uh, baseball, I started getting my senior year. I had a really good year, and and they started talking about getting drafted into Major League Baseball. And I had a really good senior year and was drafted by the Atlanta Braves in June and, you know, made the decision to sign. You know, uh, football has always been my first love, but baseball, I, I love baseball. But uh, baseball, you know, hard to say no when the Atlanta Braves pick you on that draft day. Um, so you, you, you come to UC. Uh, you're a proud alum of UC. You, you still have kept in contact with a number of your friends uh, that, that you went to the University of Cincinnati with when you come back here into town. Um, you start your coaching career at St. Xavier High School, right? I did. I was still finishing up at Cincinnati, and uh, uh, some contacts were made, and Steve Rasso, the legendary high school coach at St. X, is a Cincinnati graduate, and you know I, I was only there for a couple months, and then Tom Lichtenberg, who was a quarterback coach at Ohio State, was good friends with Steve Rasso. And my goal was to be a graduate assistant. And uh, obviously, I've been a Buckeye as far back as I can remember. And that was uh, when that phone call came, that was a yes immediately. What was, what was the influence that Earl Bruce had on you in your career? I mean, obviously, he brought you on board as a grad assistant there. But, you know, when you came in, all of a sudden, th th there was a lot of turmoil there with him, and he was going to get fired, and they asked him to coach the Michigan game. The athletic director resigns. But, but, but what did Earl Bruce, the coach and the man, mean to you? Earl was like a father to me. He was very similar to my, to my father, and they became great friends. But, I mean, Earl was tough as nails. Uh, you know, there was no gray area. You know, right versus wrong, a premium place on academics. I remember our first staff meeting in 1986. He told all of us we'd be fired immediately if our players didn't graduate. We had to keep in our wallet. We had to keep, uh, this is well before iPads and cell phones. And, and we had to keep all the players' records as far as when their tests were, their tutors, the GPA, what they need to graduate. And that came from Woody Hayes. And so 
I carried so much of the things I learned from Earl Bruce throughout my career about education, you know, about premium place. He used to say premium place on education and making sure your players graduate. Uh, also, following the rules. You know, the one thing that uh, I credit the Big Ten Conference with Bo Schembechler and Earl Bruce and Woody Hayes that, you know, you hear a lot about the cheating and things that go on in uh, uh, college football. You just don't hear about that in the Big Ten. And why is that? There's a culture of compliance. And that's what Earl Bruce meant to me. And that's what I believe Bo Schembecker, Woody Hayes, and guys like Earl Bruce meant to the Big Ten Conference. All right. So you, you go off uh, after you leave Ohio State. You're at Illinois State. You're at Colorado State. And then how did you land at Notre Dame under Lou Holtz? Well, uh, Skip Holtz is uh, his son is a great friend of mine, and and I was at Colorado State a long time, six years. Both our daughters were born there, and we had opportunities to leave. And Shelly, quite frankly, went. She said, "We're not leaving." You know, we had those conversations many times. We loved it there, but there were three schools that I told her that if they ever called, I got to go. And ironically, one was Ann Arbor, uh, Columbus, and, and Notre Dame, and. Uh, we used to joke around and said her majority word becomes a minority word when one of those three <laughs> schools. I take over I take over fifty one percent of the relationship if one of those schools called. And sure enough, Lou Holtz gave me a call one day, and she was real upset because she knew that if if I had a chance to go to Notre Dame, of course I take that. I've been around you when you've told stories about trying to go recruit guys, cats that grow up down in Florida and California and all that, the great weather, and all of a sudden you roll them into South Bend, Indiana when you're allowed to recruit in December and January. That, that, that's got to be a tough sell, Coach, even though it's Notre Dame. Yeah, when you heard the words lake effect, you, you tried to change <laughs> the schedule. You know, you know So uh, Michiana, they call it, when Lake Michigan, when that – when that snow comes rolling over that lake into South Bend, it was hilarious. I mean, I was recruiting. Florida was my main state, and I had some great players set for visits in December, and I would always you know, I'd check that weather on Tuesday, Wednesday, and if it was bad, I was going to change it to the following, you know, couple weeks. And it was a bad winter. We kept putting it off and off, and finally in uh, January, it was a great story. I, these two players from Florida arrived. They don't have coats, so I gave them coats to wear for the weekend. And, I mean, they looked at me like I had seven heads. It was so cold. There was so much snow that uh, I ended up losing those two players, ironically, to the Florida Gators. But, yeah, it was those are win tough winners, man. Great summers, tough winners. Um, you get your first head coaching job at Bowling Green. Um, and – you were coaching, correct me if I'm wrong, when you were at Notre Dame, you were actually coaching on the defensive side of the ball, right? No, I've been uh, other than one-year offense my entire Okay, time. okay. But when you come into Bowling Green, had anybody seen anything with this style of offense now you're starting to run? I'm not going to say that you necessarily invented it, but, but all of a sudden uh, you're doing things that, 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 that nobody's seen before. Yeah, Dan Mullen was my graduate assistant, and we started studying. Scott Linehan was the coach at uh, the offense coordinator at Louisville, a good friend of mine. We started studying from him, and and Rich Rodriguez was an assistant at Clemson. He just started looking into the spread offense. Joe Tiller was at a, a Purdue, and he was more of a basket. They called it basketball and grass. So we wanted to do a spread, an eye formation mentality. That means toughness, run the ball but from a variety of spread sets that you, uh, in, 
make defenders defend the entire width of the field with bubble screens and and get the ball out fast and utilize a quarterback in the run game. So really, uh, our version of the spread offense started in 2001. Dan Mullen, myself, and Greg Brandon. And we just, I mean, it was incredible. We would sit in those meetings. Our wives weren't moved yet. So we would sit in that meeting room for 10 hours a day and just put this thing together. And uh, it was, there was really no prototype. And then we just kept adapting, adapting. Dan Mullen was really, who's a great football coach for a long time. We took it to Utah, adapted it to Alex Smith. And that's when it really, really took off. The spread mm. offense became the spread offense in 2003 and four. You know, you really did at Utah that second year where you go undefeated. And back in those days, it was a BCS. Um, and, and you guys broke through. Uh, not uh, not unlike what the University of Cincinnati did last year in breaking through and getting in the college football playoff Final Four. But you taking that Utah team, that was a huge deal in college football when you got into that game out in Arizona. Yeah, that was kind of the, the broke the ice of the BCS. You know, that was, you had TCU, we had Boise State, and you had Utah. And that was when, the, you know, I, I got into it a lot of times with some media people when they said, you know, you're not a BCS school. And I was thinking, we have better BCS, better players than most BCS schools. What are you talking about? You know, we were selling out our stadium and I got real defensive of our players because uh, for someone to say we don't have BCS players, you know, we, we had better players than we had a first, the first pick overall in the NFL draft with Alex Smith. So it really gave us a little chip on our shoulder and our players really thrived. Our, our 2014 team, that team could have beat anybody in America. We didn't have the depth. And I joke around with Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush a lot because they run, they won the national title in 04. And I said, you're lucky you didn't have to play that Utah team because we would have got after you. And they, they laugh about it. But that was a great football team. And that opened the door, I believe, to Boise State the next couple of years, that, uh, TCU the next couple of years, and a team like Cincinnati. When you go to Florida, uh, look, and, and it's not diminishing, you know, the, the Mid-American Conference. Uh, I talk all the time about my alma mater, Ohio University, and how great they're playing right now and going to the MAC title game. So I'm a big MAC fan and, and, and out there at Utah. But now you're walking into the Lions' den, so to speak, uh, by going down to the University of Florida and in the Southeastern Conference. When you walked in that Florida program, what did you see and what needed to change? I'll tell you what, that was an education that it took us a minute to just realize the talent, the size of those big people that can run and, and, and the athleticism in the SEC. Every, every story you've ever heard is true about the difference between the SEC, especially the defense alignment, and anywhere else in the country, just watching the NFL draft. So uh, we ran a style of offense that was really good in the MAC. Once again, not disrespecting the MAC, and then the Mountain West or the uh, uh, yeah, Mount West Conference out in Utah, but the players change. We get down there, you're, you're blocking first rounders every week on the defensive side of the ball. We really, really struggled the first five, six, seven games. And then we, we played awful against LSU. We had a bye week follow on that. And I summoned Dan Mullen and Steve Adazi, our line coach, to my house. We, got, we started at 2 a.m. and we finished late that af next afternoon. And we redid the offense on napkins, on paper, you know, on because we ran out of paper because it was at my house, about six uh, pots of coffee. 
and we adapted the offense to the SEC. That means we took a linebacker, moved him to fullback. We started changing the launch points of the quarterback. We did a lot. We added a gap scheme, the counter and power, and we changed the entire offense. And from that point forward, that offense was really hard to stop in the SEC. Well, the next year, you win the whole thing. Uh, you know, you, you, you're juggling the quarterback. You, you've got the senior who was there, and you've got this emerging young guy named Tim Tebow. When, when, when you were recruiting Tim Tebow, um, what did you see? In, I mean, he, he, he's everything that's right, in my opinion, and I got killed for this for saying this in, in, during the national championship game when I did both of your uh, championship games, Windsor over Ohio State and, and Oklahoma. But, but what an amazing young man and an incredible player. That, that, that had to be an awesome experience to coach Tim Tebow. Yeah, he's everything you said. And, and it, it, it just rattles me when someone says they get killed for saying great things about Tim Tebow. And I, I remember, uh, you know, same thing. There would be people just, you got to get, get a life. If that's something that you feel that, you know, that's it, that important to you to tear someone apart like that, that's that you got to move on. But I recruited Tim. You know, there was a lot of pressure at Florida to recruit him. At first, I didn't want to. You know, we had an awkward throwing motion. You know, a lot of teams were even saying he wasn't going to be a quarterback. Same thing they said in college. Same thing they said in the NFL. Uh, but then when you witness what kind of leader and tough – he's the toughest player I've ever coached. And that's not being disparaging to any other uh, great uh, uh, players, but tough as nails. And uh, as competitive human being as ever been around. So we had him for four years. He won a Heisman was part of one national championship, was a starter on another national championship, and was a first-round draft pick. Number two quarterback ever, most efficient quarterback ever to play college football. And more importantly, he was a great leader. Um, your health starts to become an issue uh, as the years pass in Florida. You win the second national championship, as I mentioned, um, and, and now health scares. What got your attention that, that maybe I got to get out of this? Well, it started, and I never lost sleep. I never, you know, in 2005, like, things were happening to me that I'd never experienced, Tom, that, you know, uh, I would have anxiety attacks where I would start sweating and my hands would start shaking. And, you know, I would, I would not sleep. I would not take care of myself. And your body starts shutting down on you. And that was happening. And I became addicted to Ambien. You know, where that the only way I would get four hours sleep was I'd take one, and then I ended up taking two, and it, it was, it was, it was terrible. And then I started losing weight, and this is after we're winning like crazy. You know, 2006 we win it, 2007 I, I'm not feeling well, and I'm starting having chest pains, and I go to the doctors, and I keep taking those tests, those stress tests, to find out what is it. And then a friend of mine named Randy Walker passed away, the head coach of Northwestern, a, a good friend. A good guy. I leaned on him for, you know, I just, be, we played him when I was at Bowling Green and, and he, he passed away of a heart attack. And I started thinking, wait a minute now, this, I, I don't feel well. I'm having chest pains that are uncontrollable. The doctors can't, you know, the, the stress tests are not showing up any, uh, or no blockage or, and then after the FCC championship game, I had a real scare, a 911 call where I lost consciousness. And that's when the, 
thoughts started saying, you know, I'm done. I, I don't need to do this anymore. We won a couple championships. My family means the world to me. And so that's when I, I stepped away from Florida. So you go into television, um, and, and now a couple of years later, um, here comes Ohio State. Did you have to convince your family? I mean, you, you, you've alluded earlier if Ohio State ever called and, and talking to Shelly about that, that if Ohio State ever called, well, well, now they're calling. But you're also well aware of the health issues you were having. You're starting to feel better. How hard a sell was that to your wife and your kids to go back and do it all over again? It was, it was, it was, these are some tough times. You're, you're bringing up some memories here that uh, were, were very tough. So, I, after I left Florida, uh, Shelly and I were out and about, and I looked at her one night, and I said, you know, I made a mistake. She says, what are you talking about? I said, I should have left Florida. I'm not done coaching. I really believe I need to do this again. And she said, you, you absolutely are not. And if you do, give this time. You know, give it time. I was very young, still in my 40s at the time. And, and so I realized I'm making a mistake, and then I went into TV and, and really uh, some neat things to do. And then all of a sudden uh, – you know, Ohio State had that Jim Trestle uh, issue, which to this day I still can't imagine that's what happened out of it But because Jim's a dear friend of mine. And I get a phone call, and I, don't, I didn't even tell Shelly about it. I got a phone call uh, if I would be in, asking if my interest in Ohio State, and of course the answer is yes. That's my home school. That's my home state. Like I said, I've been a Buckeye as long back as you could say the word Buckeye. And so the seasons, we're going through the season, and once again, it's getting very serious conversation. And finally, she confronted me and uh, I want to say September, October, and said, I know something's going on. I said, yeah, they, they're going to offer me the job here, I think. And what do you think? And she said, absolutely not. She said, no, we're not moving from Florida. We love it here. This is our home. And the thing, Tom, it's amazing. I actually, in my own heart, didn't even think that way because I thought, how could you not? We're, all, we're Buckeyes. My kids weren't Buckeyes. They were Gators. You know, they grew up in the Florida Gator world and Gator Nation, and we lived there. It was going on seven, eight years now in Gainesville, and you know, I just was overwhelmed with the thought of being a coach of the Buckeyes. And they went six and seven, and, and the way they approached me is, "We need your help here, and how can you say no to that?" And so we had some tough conversations. We had a family meeting, and. Nicole, my oldest daughter, was very emotional for all because they saw what I went through and and some promises were made that I would do things differently, which I did. And they gave me the blessing at the end of the day. The school initially is on probation because of the whole trestle thing that happens. You go undefeated, but you can't be a part of the BCS. Um, and, and now the formation of the college football playoff, um, you know, comes around and 2014 you win the national championship urban i I mean if you were to try to sell that story in hollywood i'm not so sure anybody buys that script and if for no other reason the quarterback position because to refresh people's memory you've got this big star in braxton miller who's all of a sudden hurt he's not going to be able to play quarterback anymore right now you're going to start this freshman jt barrett you go 11-1, and one, you beat Michigan, but in the Michigan game, he breaks <laughs> his ankle. Now comes some cat named Cardale Jones, 
And he's going to start his first collegiate start is in the Big Ten championship game. You win 59 to nothing. And then off you go behind Ezekiel Elliott and the rest of the crew and, and win the whole thing. You kill Alabama, uh, and, and then you, you, you whitewash Oregon. Uh, what, you know, 20, 10 years later almost, you look back on that, and what stands out to you? I mean, I just gave a laundry list of things, but maybe that's not the thing that stands out to you. Yeah, it was 10 days before our first game. Our best player was Braxton Miller by far, Heisman candidate. <clears throat> Behind him, we had JT Barrett, who was a guy that had ACL surgery just a year earlier. He had Cardell Jones, who was a talented guy, but had his own issues that he was dealing with. <clears throat> and I'll never forget on the practice field when Braxton Miller were bringing him along slowly, and, and he throws a pass to his left, only about seven yards, and physically you hear it pop, and his arm goes numb and basically comes out of his shoulder. He dislocates his shoulder, and... Uh, you know, he's like a son to me, and I, he's sobbing on the ground, and the whole team stops. I stop. We all stop. I'm holding his hand, and, and he's in a tremendous amount of pain, which is the worst part of this game. And then all of a sudden, reality sets in as we, we, got, a, we got something going on here. We've just lost – by the way, we just lost our last two games at Clemson in a bowl game and Michigan State. In a, that's after winning 24 straight. We lose two straight. We're down a quarterback. I'm thinking I call Shelly afterwards and we're just talking and I said we're we're looking at a really bad year here. You know, we, we just you know Mike Thomas wasn't Mike Thomas yet, Zeke wasn't Zeke yet, and I, w I had some bad feelings about this team. You know, we, we we were not where we needed to be. However, one of the things that I learned about I always knew but I really learned about that team and the whole theme of the season was solve the mystery. And the mystery is how do you how do you learn to put something ahead of yourself? You want to be a great, a great husband, put your wife ahead of you. You want to be a great parent, put your children ahead of you. And our message to the team was football, you have to be unselfish. You want to be a great teammate, you know, stop all the nonsense. Stop all the selfishness, laziness, all the things that hurt teams and put your teammates ahead of yourself. And that was the theme. And I mean, I had great Curtis Grant, Joshua Perry, some of the best leaders JT Barrett became a great leader, and that team became the most unselfish team I've ever witnessed. And and by the way, we had great players, or we were at, we had really good players that became great players. Seven years at Ohio State, you go eighty-three and nine, um, and now all of a sudden uh, the, the the health issues spring up again. Um, was there a moment like you talked about in Florida where at Ohio State you're like, man, th th this is going down the wrong trail again? Yeah, in 2014, ironically, the year we won it, I was having, I've always had uh, bad headaches that go along with some of the other stuff. And they identified an arachnoid cyst right in the middle of my brain about the size of a fist. And it's not cancerous, it's not a tumor, it's a cyst that causes really, really bad headaches. And when it ruptures, I mean, debilitating. And it happened several times. I was hospitalized a couple of times, kept it under wraps. And then finally in 2014 spring, during practice, it happened again. And I went to the doctor. They did a CAT scan. They said, we're having surgery, uh, brain surgery, emergency. We, we're going to do this. You've you got to call your family. And, and they did and to relieve the pressure on, that was causing the headaches. And they drilled two holes in my head, and it was uh, it was pretty scary stuff. 
obviously. And that's when I started to say, okay, now there's an end to this. When's it going to be? You know, I don't want to continue. I, you know, if it happened again, they told me they're not sure what they would be able to do because you can't just keep drilling holes. And so there's some alternative things about, you know, putting a, a shunt in there, I think they called it. And, but I kind of, you know, I, I started putting a timeline on saying, you know, I want it when I'm 55 years old, I'd like to be done and move on. And that's the way it worked out. And then I found Ryan Day. You know, Ohio State means so much to me, the state, uh, the school. And I had, I, I'm very biased, but I think it's time tested. We have the best infrastructure in college football. We have the best recruiting staff, best academic. We have the best infrastructure in college football, and I, we couldn't lose that. And so I talked to our president, talked to Gene Smith, and said, I think we found our next coach in Ryan Day. And they really didn't know Ryan very well. And then Gene got to know him and felt the same way. And uh, they gave us our blessing. And I decided after the Big Ten Championship game at 18 that that was good. That especially, you know, we beat our rival one last time. That's 7-0. and And it's time to hand this off to a, a younger coach and right off in the sunset. All right, let's talk about Ryan Day and Ohio State. You're going to be at the game, part of the um, Fox Noon kickoff pregame show in Columbus. Uh, everybody across the country, it, it'll be the most watched game without a doubt in college football this entire season. Um, we know what happened last year. Uh, and I know you still talk regularly and have spent time around Ryan Day. Um, the game is always important, Coach. But, I mean, for, for Ryan Day, is it even more so after what happened last year? It is. You know, that's uh, – and Ryan knows it. You know, I talked to Ryan quite a bit. Uh, we're still very close. Uh, you think of these two coaches right now, both excellent coaches, Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day. You know, they got two of the top – three teams in the country playing each other for everything. And I think Coach Harbaugh is one and five in the, in the game. Uh, uh, Ryan is one and one. And, you know, once again, I, I, I've been accused of being overdramatic about this game. I don't believe I am. For people that live this rivalry, it's not, this never leaves you. This is something that's part of your life. And it's bigger than a game. And so this is, this is huge. This is, they both they both have to win this game, and there's no other way to say it. That uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, you got the Big Ten championship in Indianapolis the next week, college football playoff. But I think it's more important than that. It's the game. You know, it's, you can't lose this game. Did you do anything different as a head coach the week of the game? I mentioned earlier, seven and zero. You never lost to Michigan. I, you know, I. Tom, that's a great question. And Lou Holtz, my mentor, would always I would always ask him questions. He was like a, an encyclopedia for me. And he would always stop me and say, what kind of team do you have? So I would do a lot of things different depending upon the team I have. If I have a, an overconfident team, I'd kind of work them real hard. Or, you know, if I had the team exactly the way it was, you know, this is not going to be about, you know, I would always pull the pads off early in the week because I wanted our guys fresh. I wanted our guys I would try to back off a of practice as much as possible, but it depends what kind of team you have. You know, if you have an experienced team, you know, it, it, you, you don't want to overdo it because everything's overdone in this game. Most, those poor players, especially with social media now, can you imagine the intensity, that, the intense scrutiny that they're under right now? Just the, just the players, you know, old men coaches can handle it, but these players, so it's just, 
you know, you got to get, as Lou Holtz would always say, you don't play the game until noon on Saturday. Don't play the game before that game. You look at this matchup, uh, last year, Michigan ran the ball straight down Ohio State's throat. They were the more physical team. They were the more uh, dominant team. There was no doubt about it. Now there are a lot of lingering questions for both teams at the running back position, who's healthy, who can play, who can't play, so on and so forth. Uh, I guess you could probably say it about every college football game or pro football game, but is this one come down to what happens tackle to tackle? Tom, I did some research over the years on this, and, and I, I think this is, first of all, I believe that just that's the foundation of football. The more equated talent becomes, it's line of scrimmage game. I think it's always going to be that way. Certainly in the north and when you're not in the indoors, you know, where weather and wind and rain potentially could be a problem. I don't see the elements being a problem, but the history of this game is a team that controls the line of scrimmage wins. So it, the, the Wolverines have been really dominant on both sides of the ball. You know, their big issue is they might have lost this tailback. Blake Corum's a Heisman candidate. We've watched him up close. I'm a huge fan of this guy, not just because he's a great player. He's tough as can be. And uh, Ohio State also has some issues at running back where Travion, they're not sure he's going to go. Mayan Williams, they're not sure he's going to go. I understand that uh, they're going to have Mayan. I think I heard that. Uh, so the ability to get the ball on on short yardage and run the ball when you have to run the ball and not be one-dimensional, that's going to be critical. And I believe this, that this game will come down to J.J. McCarthy's ability to perform. He's been up and down. He's very talented. But I do believe you can stop the run. You can load the box. You can stop that run. And they're going to force the Wolverines, I really believe, to throw the ball to win the game. And, and that's not been their strength this year. Uh, should both of these teams, Coach, end up in a college football playoff? I think on videotape, as of right now, November, whatever the date is, on videotape, they are two of the best four teams in the country. And that's the job of the committee. So it depends on how the game goes. depends on the healthier team. If one team gets blown out, there's no chance they'll be in it. But you also have USC, who has really shocked everybody this year, and a TCU team that's uh, been really good. So, you know, who goes in, who doesn't? But I on videotape, on, on tape, just purely as a football coach watching it, uh, these two are the two of the top four teams in America. Let me ask you about the college football playoff rankings that came out last night. We were talking a, a long time about this before you came on today. Uh, there's never been a two-loss team that made the college football playoff since it started in 14. Um, LSU has two losses, uh, albeit early in the season, but two losses. Uh, and should uh, you know LSU beat Georgia, uh, it looks like, Coach, that uh, you'd have to take uh, as the SEC champion LSU, and they've pretty much laid the groundwork for that to happen by ranking them ahead of USC. Were you surprised they're ahead of the Trojans? No, I'm not. You know, once again, if you look on videotape, I think they're the more balanced team right now. And obviously, if they beat Georgia, they're in. They are in the college football playoff. And then now there's a huge, you know, now Georgia is certainly the most talented team in the country. What do you do with them? If that's a close game, those two teams are in. A little bit like Ohio State and the Wolverines. I think those those are the, you know, those you have to do that. But here, here's something else to think about, Tom, is that, you know, Alabama, and this is not to, uh, it's just talking about schedules and who you play. Alabama lives on the road to Tennessee in the last seconds of the game and on the road, 
at LSU in the last seconds of the game. There's not a team in the country, including Georgia or Ohio State, that survives that without a loss. That's two out of three weeks, night games in the SEC against those talented teams. So, you know, you you know, that's where you got to really think this thing through with TCU, USC. You know, what would their, you know, what would it be like? The committee's got to really put their the thought process and watch the videotape and say, okay, who are these best teams? And sometimes I think, are they qualified to do that? You know, there are some very good people on that committee, but can they sit and evaluate? Because there's only one way to do it, and that's watch, watch them. Not on TV, but watch the videotape and, and say, okay, who are the best four teams in America? So LSU wins that game. They're in. I want to hit a couple of other topics before we let you go today. Um, number one, are you in favor of the college football playoff expanding to 12? I am now. I was not. I am now, and, and I think there's a lot of reasons. Number one, the viewership would be a, immense, and it's a great opportunity for the players. The number two thing is that people are starting to lose interest in bowl games, which is a shame. You know, it's, you know, teams are – you know, when you, whenever you see six to eight players decide not to play in bowl games because the game doesn't matter as much, I certainly understand it because in the NFL, I don't like it, but I understand it. So this would give more people an opportunity to keep their teams together and and have the you know some great games down the road. You know, the thing you have to look at though is the wear and tear on the the body of the student athlete. You know, you really, you know, you don't just throw twelve games. Don't just throw, throw another game in the you know, in the mix here. I don't know. Do you, do you give the players more? Do you give this coaches more scholarships to work with? How's the schedule work out? Because you know, you start thinking we went fourteen and one in two thousand and sixteen. No, fourteen. And we beat Alabama. We beat Wisconsin. Beat Alabama. Beat Oregon. If they said, "Oh, by the way, you got one more," you know, I'm not sure. You know, I, we would have did it, of course, but I'm not sure how much you have left in that tank. Um. NIL, uh, for a head coach, I, I mean, it's got to add now another just, just laundry list of headaches or potential headaches when you're, you're the head coach of a football program like Ohio State and many, many others. Is that fair to say? It's absolutely fair, and I think the intent, Tom, was incredible. I think it's the right thing to do. But with, you know, without any real regulation, intent, it's not what, that's not really what's happened, though, in People are using it for inducements, uh, pay-for-play type mentality that's illegal. But there's really no, uh, from my understanding of all the co- my colleagues that I still talk to quite often, there's uh, quite often there's really not enforcement of any of this yet because it's all new. The bottom line is, should a player be able to, you know, make some money on name and likeness, whether selling his jersey, whether signing autographs, whether business opportunities for non-revenue sports? You see people do some, you know, have a chance to, this is America, you know, and you have a right to do that. But what's happened is, which a lot of us thought would happen is, a lot of people are buying players. And that's, you know, that, that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, Joe Burrow, you recruited him to come to Ohio State out of, out of Athens, Ohio. Uh, you already had a, a quarterback who had proven to be a winning quarterback, had helped lead your team to a national championship, uh, and, and Burrow ultimately, with your help, makes a decision 
uh, to transfer down to LSU. Did you think Joe Burrow would be Joe Burrow? No. Uh, Joe Burrow was basically uh, under-recruited guy. Tom Herman, my quarterback coach, found him. I remember calling me and was videotaping from his cell phone and said, I think I found your next Alex Smith. Uh, he was a state uh, champion in basketball, elite competitor, came from a great football family. His intelligence was above, you know, his, his football intelligence. He got to know him. He had a slow release. His arm wasn't very strong. And then he worked his tail off. His hardworking guy's ever been around. And his toughness just kept leadership, kept showing up, kept showing up. And then, then he was our backup quarterback to JT Barrett and broke his hand about seven days before our first game, his throwing hand. And, and Cardell Jones became the backup. And Cardell Jones went on to become a legend and won, a, won the national title. So that put us in a dilemma. We let both team, both players battle for the starting spot in 2015. And that's when uh, Joe, it was really close, but we, we gave Cardell a start. I'm sorry, Dwayne Haskins. I'm sorry, Dwayne Haskins was the backup quarterback for uh, JT Barrett. And Dwayne Haskins uh, went on to have a great year. And Joe Burrow transferred. He looked to several schools, and we still are very close to this day. He's a very close to all our Buckeyes. And obviously, LSU did a great job. First year, he was just okay. He had a good year, but his second year is one of the best in college football history. Um, Luke Fickle. Uh, you, you talked about when you came in and you were brought in as a head coach um, at Ohio State and all the, 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 the turmoil that was going on from Trestle, Fickle takes over. Uh, they finish under 500, uh, which had never happened uh, before or since, uh, if I'm not mistaken, at Ohio State. You kept him on as your defensive coordinator. Um, was that a hard thing to do uh, or a hard thing for him to do in hindsight to go from being the head coach, hoping you got a chance to stay as a head coach, and now all of a sudden you're a defensive coordinator again? Yeah, I had no intention of keeping uh, Coach Fickle. I was already looking for defense coordinators. Gene Smith asked that I meet with him, and I said, of course. I, you know, I have great respect for Luke over the years, but I felt at the time it was time for a clean break. You know, like you said, there was a lot of stuff. The more homework you did, there wasn't that much stuff. You know, we lost uh, the NCA, took nine scholarships from us, took a bowl game from us. Uh, they just lost to the, the rivals, you know, to the Wolverines a couple of days earlier. And I thought, you know what, we're going to do, uh, we're going to have a clean break. I'm going to get a whole new staff in here. And then I met with Coach Fickle and his wife, and they were really good on defense over the years. I'm, and I became somewhat immediately after I sat down with him. First of all, he's an incredible person. He loves Ohio State. He has a great reputation with high school coaches in the state, and he's a very good, excellent coach. So uh, I decided to keep him. It, it, it was shocking to me, too. I prayed on it. I slept on it. And the next morning, I called him up and offered him the job, and he took it. And uh, we've remained very close. He's uh, one of the best I've ever been around. What are you surprised? Maybe that's not the right word. Um, are, are you amazed that he comes to your alma mater and has done what he has done here? I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. You know, him, I had you look at guys like Kyle Whittingham, who's at Utah, uh, Ryan Day, you had uh, Danny Mullen, who was with me, and then guys like Luke Fickle. Those guys are head coaches waiting. I mean, those guys are. 
you can tell very early with you, they're big picture people, they're problem solvers. They address the issues directly, which I think is something, a skill that uh, a lot of coaches, when, when you see them fail, that's part of it. And Luke Fickle's got it all. And he's hired a very good staff. He's at a great school. He knows the school. He's recruited and developed well. So I'm not surprised at all, uh, but I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan, obviously. Um, look, every time there's a job that's open, Coach, uh, in, in major college football, uh, your name is the first one that always comes up. Uh, you, you walked away from it for health reasons at Florida. You walked away for health reasons at Ohio State. Um, does Urban Meyer want to coach college football again? No desire. No desire. I, I, Tom, when I tell you I love what I do, it's beyond love. You know, I mean, I love uh, – when I say love what I do, I love being a grandparent. I love uh, living my life right now and, and uh, then working on Fox with uh, my great team that I work with. So I have no desire, Tom, to, to coach. But, Urban, you're a young man. I mean, you're a young man. You know, I mean, look, you know, it may not be young when our kids are hanging around. They look as like we're a thousand years old and now you as a granddad. But, man, I, I think there are a lot of us who just sit there and say, how in the world would this guy not come back and coach college football again? Well, I think the game's changed. You know, I think, you know, it's such a much different game than, just five years ago, seven years ago. And I'm not saying it's for the worse. It's actually fantastic. Viewership's never been higher, but this is a personal situation that I have had some health issues. And, you know, it seems like it's just something I I really cherish the time with uh, Shelly, the grandkids, the kids, and, and living life and supporting other people that, uh, whether it be family members or colleagues in this great game. So I'm glad I'm still around the game because I love it, uh, but no desire. All right. Well, I, I know you'll be able to, to quench that, uh, that competitive uh, nature of yours by playing pickleball on a regular basis then. It'll have to be that. I'm glad there's no video of that there, brother. Yeah, you and me both. Although you and I came through when it mattered. We were down one game and we right. came back and rallied. Because I, I was in fear that if uh, we did not come back and rally, that I was not going to leave that house in one piece. So that's the way it all played out. Hey, enjoy the game tomorrow uh, or on Saturday. Have a great time up in Columbus. Uh, I'm taking my kids up there. We're driving up for the game. I can't wait to go. And uh, that's going to be some kind of atmosphere on Saturday. Well, so good to see you. So good to see you with that headset on, brother. Thank you, man. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Tell Shelly and the kids and the grandkids we said hello. Same to you, Tom. Thanks. All right. Urban Meyer, kind enough to join us and uh, really appreciate his time very, very much. Um, he's got a lot going on, and, and he took the time, and he's a good man. Known him for a long time, and I think the world of the guy. And um, that was great. All right, we'll take a break. Do we have a cherry on top today? Uh, we do not have one as of right now. We can look at Well, that's our time. cherry on top. Let's have okay. an Urban Meyer. How's that sound? That sounds good. Okay. Sounds good to me. Uh, any thoughts from that from either the peanut gallery over here? We'll take a quick break and then wrap, wrap it up. We'll take a quick break and we'll talk about that interview and then we'll call it a day. Back in a minute. Oh, boy. Casey, you get quite the kick out of Tracy Jones, don't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> He's funny. He's kind of taking you under his wing as like his little brother. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He has. He has. All right, we've got box lunch coming up. Fellas, how we doing? Good, how are you? 
What's happening? Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. You got any big Thanksgiving plans? See, now that's a, that, that, that's a guy who's got some life about him. You two stiffs. Let me tell you something. He's got some life about him for a very good reason. He'll tell you that in a minute. But let's get to your Thanksgiving plans. I, I, I'm, dry, I'm getting ready to jump in the car and drive to Chicago. I, I have a dear friend of mine. When I was doing the Cubs games, I, I got to be friends. We were all 25 years mm -hmm. old, whatever. When I got the job up there back in 1989. And... Uh, so I got to be buddies with a bunch of born and raised Chicago guys uh, that, like the rest of us, were, were living down in the city trying to start your careers and get them going and all that kind of thing. And we used to hang out all the time. And I lived there year round for six years. And, and, and I've stayed very close with all of them. But one in particular who is Greek. His last name is Panos. And uh, so he introduced me in the years I lived there to Greek Easter and things like this. But he has, and it's like that big, fat Greek wedding movie. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has anywhere from 50 to 70 people at his house, all Greek. And the only four non-Greeks in the arena would be my wife, Polly, and our kids, Ella, Luke, and me. And it is indescribable how outrageous this scene is for Thanksgiving. Do they eat turkey or lamb? No, they eat the, they eat the turkey. Okay, they, okay. They'll sprinkle in some different, you know, sort of Greek uh, uh, dishes on some of the side stuff. But it, it's tradition. But, I mean, it, I mean, I just can't wait. We've been going so long that uh, we've gotten to know all of them and, and, and all the family members and all their hopes and dreams and problems and anxieties. And you know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a great – it would be a great movie for sure. What are you doing? Uh, well, we're going to actually head down. Well, I don't know about Thanksgiving. We don't have a whole lot of plans, but later in this week, my, my sister, my dear sister gets married next week down in Florida. So we're going to go down there for a week. So I actually won't be at work for the next week, but nice. My Thanksgiving. Where are you going down there? Uh, Bradenton beach. Oh, very nice. Anna Maria Island. Very yeah. nice. I'm excited. I'm, I'm my sister's man of honor. So I'm saying next. Yeah. My older sister. Love her nice. Dearly. Nice. Tom, my sister, she's in Chicago too. Seeing her tonight too. So, Tom, what about you, Tracer? I'm hosting Thanksgiving, which requires and probably will be nothing but a few long hours worth of work when I get home of cleaning things that need to be cleaned because the wife says you have to clean them. That's type right. Situations. That's right. Got to go and pick up some tables and chairs. Just basically going to be not the boss. No question. And uh, Case, what do you got going on? Uh, gonna go. Back to my house back in Blanchester, have Thanksgiving there for about a couple hours, then go to the in-laws, have Thanksgiving there. And then we're doing another one, and uh, that's going to be the other side of my in-laws. And we're going to watch the Bengals game that, that, that. that Sunday. Very so. nice. And Brandon, you'll be here with your family, I assume? Yeah, of course, as you mentioned during your show, uh, tonight's a big night for me. It's uh, Thanksgiving Eve. Yeah. So that's always one of the big nights. I'll be, in, I'll probably be enjoying myself a little bit tonight. And then big uh, time night. Seho family. I got to be ready for the Seho family tomorrow. Watching football, turkey, all that jazz. So there's going to be a big crowd at the Cyclone games. Is Marty calling the game? <laughs> no, you know, we, we, we angered some people. You know, we, we angered some people last time. You know, uh, I don't know who in their right mind takes that stuff seriously. Uh, when Tracy says Marty's coming back to broadcast the Cyclones, you, you got like three or four people just go off the reservation. You know, oh, they got an announcer. He's a great, he, he's an outstanding announcer. Did anybody really believe he's coming back to broadcast some the Cyclones? Some he people can't even did. spell hockey. 
<laughs> Some people did, and that is that is what's funny about that. That's, oh, so, that's really what's funny about the internet, the overreactions that you get. God, I couldn't believe it. I called Trace. I'm like, dude, do I even respond to this? <laughs> You're a little worried about it, but that's all right. It was funny. I thought it was humorous. And, and the play-by-play voice of the Cyclones handled it beautifully. Yeah, I thought he did an okay yeah, job. Yeah, he did. He did. All right, what do we got going on, fellas? Uh, we're going to talk about the game, you know, the big game on Saturday, some college football playoffs. Um, the MLB Hall of Fame ballot just came out yesterday. That's something I like to talk about. So yeah. We'll talk about that. Helmet and- about 10 others. Yeah, I, I'm one of the few people that care about that stuff. But I, I'm an MLB guy through and through. Tom, can I ask you a question? You called Chicago Cubs games for a while. How long? About a decade? or No, six. Six years. Seems like you almost got a vendetta against me as a Cubs. Not me as a Cubs fan, but Cubs fans in general. Do you not like Cubs fans? You know, you know where all that started? All of that stuff started when I announced the... 2003 National League Championship Series. So they just for Fox. They assumed that I would come in there and be a cheerleader for the Cubs because I used to announce the Cubs games. Well, that's not my job when you're doing it for a network. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, had the Cubs won that thing, you'd be we never have this conversation. But because of the way they lost, uh, really the way they lost, especially in Game Six, uh, and then they can't beat the Marlins number seven starting pitcher in game mm. seven. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, all of a sudden hate the Cubs. And you're obviously one of those brain-dead guys who thinks Well, you just time. took a jab at the Cubs right there. You said couldn't beat their number seven. It's a truth. That's it's a truth. I'm it's not a truth. Doubt it. not. Yeah, that's a fact. They had Kerry Wood. I think the guy's name was Brian Moeller, if I remember correct. I could I don't be remember, wrong but Kerry Wood that. did pitch game yeah, seven. Yeah, he did. He had a home run in game seven. Yeah. Loudest I've ever heard a stadium in my life is when he hit that home run in game seven. That it was in, insanity because they thought they were heading to the World Series. Didn't work out. That was one of my first baseball memories growing up, Kerry Woods' home run. I had, a, had the Cubs jacket, pitching jacket, because he used to wear it when he was on base. I was That's a right. Kerry Wood fan. Good dude, too. Really like him a lot. Great guy. All right, boys. I no, care less about the Cubs. Yeah. Well, most watching this show don't. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. That's here nor there. We appreciate Urban coming on today. We do. Leader of men. Leader of men. So is Ryan Day. All right. Luke Fickle, Brian Kelly. Definitely leaders of men. Trace Fowler. No question. Head of the company. Chatterbox. Leader of men. I don't want to go that far. All right. We have have door frames. We got to get his head through. You got a good point. Gentlemen, have a happy Thanksgiving to all. Much to be thankful for. Enjoy yourselves. Brandon, please be smart. I tell my 19-year-old daughter that, and I got to tell you the same thing, even at your age. Please be smart tonight. Boys. <laughs> this is CJ Stroud Pass. Here Tom, I'm going to drop. I, I, there we go. Oh, dude, that is going to be, oh, boy, that's bad mojo for you. I think catching the Ohio State ball would be would be bad mojo. No, 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 no. C.J. Stroud's going to be slinging it around on Saturday. We'll see. All we'll right. see. Boys, happy Thanksgiving. Happy you Thanksgiving have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Safe travels. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy your drive. Yep.